Welcome to the Mabea Property Podcast. Bringing you expert insights and personal stories from the ever-changing Costa del Sol real estate market. Remember, in the world of property, knowledge pays the best interest. So hello and welcome back to the Mabea Property Podcast, the show where we dive deep into the Mabea real estate scene. I'm your host Gretel and together with me in the studio is my co-host Camilla. Camilla, how are you? Hello, I'm very well. Thank you, Gretel. How are you today? Uh, good, you know, getting better uh, at it. Um, so in today's episode, I'm very excited uh, because I get the chance to interrogate uh, Camilla uh, and we'll be exploring the ins and outs of uh, what it truly means to be a real estate agent and uh, uncovering why their services are essential or not. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and plus Camilla will be sharing some valuable tips and tricks from her extensive experience in the field. So stay tuned for some enlightening insights. Thank you. Um, one thing I'd like to say beforehand, uh, I'm a real estate agent and I work in this industry for more than 15 years. Obviously, I have my point of view on things, okay, which doesn't mean that someone else can have a different point of view on things. Okay, so I just want to point this out, maybe people see things differently than me. But hey, I'm, I'm really looking forward to have a chat about that and go more deep into that. Yeah, you're sweating a bit? Yes, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit. <laughs> so maybe, you know, before we dive deep into that, you know, tell me the evergreen reasons why you think that Mabea is an attractive uh, real estate investment. And why do you think people are looking to buy over here? Well, I think Mabea has one big plus, and that's obviously the climate. Okay, we are in yeah. the southern part of Europe, and we have 300 days of sunshine. So the climate is a very important uh, point to people. As to me, when I moved to Se- to Spain, I thought, you know, it's a little bit more sunshine here than in Germany. So plus one. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a good place to live. So another thing is the, um, yeah, it, it, it's a travel hub. Malaga is the fourth biggest airport in Spain. Um and you can reach the Costa del Sol and Malaga Airport within maximum three and a half hours from all areas in Europe. The good thing is we get a lot more direct flights from other places like the uh, like Dubai. And now I think we have direct flights from Abu Dhabi and Qatar. US, yeah, it's a US. very well connected, yeah. Exactly. So we are very well connected. Um And then also we have a great social network community here because we have a lot of experts uh, from all over the world, really, but mainly Europe, Mm -hmm. who are coming to live in Spain. So, um, yeah, people can exchange and that makes it easier for other people to want and come to live in in Mabea and the Costa del Sol. Um, It's a very metropolitan area, too, um, where everyone can can, can speak English and, uh, yeah. Um, actually, to that point, I think uh, one of the things that I would like to add and what uh, what was my thought process when I was, you know, purchasing investment properties over here is uh, there is a wide array of buyers, right? Yes. So if I think back to, you know, uh, Tallinn, uh, you know, my home uh, country and maybe, you know, you can relate also in the, in the Germany, you know, majority of the buyers are from that country. Yes, mm-hmm. of course, you know, we do have international uh, buyers as well and investors, but uh, to a lot a smaller extent than it is over here. And um, having a different variety of uh, foreign buyers, and especially after the Brexit, when the UK buyers are not necessarily number one anymore, and it's a lot more balanced by having people from Sweden, Belgium, you know, US, whatever countries buying over here, uh, I feel it makes the real estate market as overall a lot more stable. Yeah. You know, a, a lot more resilient to to crisis yeah. uh, because you're not lenient on, on one nationality. You know, if, if you have 90% of the buyers are from one country and then something happens in that country, you know, things can go south very, very fast. Uh, yeah. Now, if you're not relying on one market and you have a mixture of markets, the, the market becomes a lot more resilient. Um yeah, but the market here also, sorry to interrupt you, depends a lot, for example, on the exchange rate. For example, Norwegians and Swedish people, you can really see times where they buy more and where they sell more because it really depends on the on the currency currency exchange rates. Um, so as exactly what you say, we have so many different nationality buying here and then sometimes this nationality is stronger and sometimes that. Did you actually know which is the number one nationality buying, which was uh, the number one nationality buying properties in 2021? Can you guess? Brits? 
No, Belgium's. Oh, really? Yeah. And actually talking about that, I think also, especially Belgium's, I was reading somewhere the statistics of the mortgage. Um, there's a lot of foreign buyers that buy without the mortgage. And actually Belgium, I think, is the number one yeah, uh, exactly. uh, country that they don't use the mortgage, which also means that, you know, if tough times come along, people are not under the pressure of the interest rates because they fully own, uh, outright they own the properties over here. Yeah. So that's another kind of point which kind of differs a lot from from Estonia where I come from yeah um, Germany it's the same uh, in Germany I would say 90% of the property purchases or even probably more are by with a mortgage and if I look back at my past three years of being a real estate agent we have maybe one of ten sales of mm. uh, someone buying with a mortgage so obviously people from Germany ask me Uh, how is the property market and why did it not drop because of the interest rates? Yeah. You know, when people don't buy with a mortgage, the interest rates is not the main factor, which makes the property market high or low. Yeah. No, no, good point. And I mean, um, listen, I could talk all day long about this mortgages and interest rates and things. But, you know, I think that's a topic for another yep, episode. But, uh, you know, one of the things that people always ask me is now a good time to buy, Mabea? Is now a good time to start? So what's your response to that? The best time to buy is yesterday. Mm. Okay. Now, thinking back five years ago, you wish you would have bought five years ago. But now in five years from now, you probably say the same about now. The property market is high at the moment, yes, but um, I think it's always a good time to buy and invest into properties. And you, in, in every um, you know, position of the market, whether it's low or high, you can find good deals. You just need to... Yeah, you just need to evaluate the uh, old opportunities and, you know, find... Uh the strawberry among the, exactly. among the rest. So. Exactly. That's why um, you have us as an agent. <laughs> let's see about that, you know. Um, so let's imagine, you know, you 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 have this person, you know, in Tallinn listening to this episode or in Munich, you know, um, and, and they've been thinking about, you know, buying in Mabea. Maybe they came here on a few family trips and, you know, spent some holidays over here. Where do you recommend to start if somebody's interested in making the property purchase? So what's the first thing that they should do? It really depends on each personal situation. Okay, so what I recommend first, have a look at your bank account. Okay, mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and think, do you, because it's, it's, it's a very... Dream big, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a very easy example. For example, what I say, especially to young people want to buy, when, when they want to buy a property, because they usually want to buy a property with a mortgage. Okay, so there's a quite easy calculation. So if you have 50,000 euros, you are able to invest in a property and you need a mortgage. Um, and here in Spain, if you're a resident, you usually get 80% mortgage and you still need to pay your purchase cost, which is usually 10% on top, which means you need to have 30% in your pocket. Then the maximum you can spend on a property is 175,000 euros. And that's okay? on your first purchase, right? Because I think the first purchase, they give you 80% and the Correct. following one, 70%. So, Correct. Yeah. Or yeah, or even mm. less, depends. Mm. Um, so obviously the budget <laughs> is, is the first step you need to look at on what sort of property you want to buy, if you want to buy it with a mortgage or without a mortgage. I think here also uh, maybe a good example that can resonate with the foreign buyers because, you know, you just mentioned that, you know, um, the mortgage in Spain, because I think one of the things that a lot of foreigners don't know, you are able to apply for a mortgage over here in Spain. Yes, probably you will have uh, a little bit, let's say, worse conditions than, you know, the people who are residents over here. But still Spanish banks, they do finance the sales for the foreigners. But the other thing is uh, I was recently part of uh, a, a real estate podcast in Estonia where the... Uh, the host uh, contacted different banks in Estonia and asked on what condition would they finance a property purchase in Spain for an Estonian citizen who either has then a company in Estonia or as a private person. And, you know, surprisingly to me, the conditions were not bad. I mean, most of the banks, they said, yes, they would finance it, but on one condition, there needs to be a property uh, that's going to back up the deal located in Estonia because yeah. they don't use this as, an, uh, as a backup equity in, uh, in Spain. 
but that's also a possibility. So I think, you know, you're right that before, you know, making the step of uh, contacting somebody or, you know, flying out to see the properties, you know, uh, kind of get an understanding and grasp of, you know, what's your financial capabilities, you know, whether it's in your home country or in Spain and, uh, you know, take it from there because that's going to kind of put the framework to what exactly. you can afford and, you know, what you can buy. Exactly. Um, but... Uh, you know, let's say that I've done all this due diligence and I'm ready to, to move to the next step. So, you know, where can a potential buyer find a good realtor? Okay, well, there are different ways of finding your realtor, okay? Um, and I talk about your realtor because what is very important if you buy a property is that you find someone you trust and you get along with and who understands what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So I would say the first thing maybe you should do is ask your friends, ask your family, ask your neighbors, ask someone you know who bought a property in Spain and ask for advice. What I don't recommend is ask for a good realtor on Facebook, okay? <laughs> because you will get 267 <laughs> comments with different yeah. realtors and it's just very confusing. Yeah. Another thing um, what I recommend to do, because we were talking before, we have very much different nationalities buying here. For example, let's say you're French and you want to buy a property. So it really makes sense to contact a French agent. So just put in Google French agency Costa del Sol or Marbella or the area you want to buy and then you will get um, you know in contact with with these agents and see how you feel. You know call them, send them emails and, and see how you feel about them. You need to have a good relationship with your agent um, and that agent needs to understand what you're looking for. Maybe a one question over here, because, you know, I had just friends recently over here in Marbella, you know, first time actually. Um, but uh, before they flew out, they told me, you know what, Gretel, we've been thinking about buying something in Marbella as a second home. And, uh, you know, do you have any recommendation <coughs> for the agents and so forth? But, you know, by the time they got here... Um, they had lined up few property meetings. I think uh, they got in touch with uh, two, three different agents mm -hmm. and they organized, you know, different property viewings with different agents. And, you know, once I met them and I sat down and they showed me what they had kind of seen, you know, I told them as well that, you know, in my opinion now, knowing more or less the, the ins of the real estate market over here, it doesn't make sense to have multiple agents, you no. know. So maybe also to the listeners, you know, to, to explain a little bit because, you know, you use this MLS uh, known as the multiple listing system over here in Mabea. So, you know, me as a, as a buyer, potential buyer, you know, what's the difference of me getting three real estate agents working with me or the difference of getting one real estate agent working for me? So maybe just give me a little bit of insight about that. Well, the more agents you use, the more confusion it will cause, and it it's it, it can up uh, can end up in a drama. I can tell you that out of because experience. you all use the same system, yes. right? So we work very different here than, for example, in Germany. Mm -hmm. In Germany, agents work a lot more with exclusivity, mm -hmm. right? Here, and I quite like the system; it works here. Um, we all collaborate, okay? So all agents have the. Mm, can access the full database of real estate properties on the Costa del Sol, right? So there is like one system that, you know, when you log in as an agent, that you have access exactly. to all the properties. Exactly. And obviously that makes it a lot easier. And clients or potential buyers um, should know the system, okay? Because what happened to me in the past many times is that a buyer starts to look on different agents' websites um, and usually a lot of agents share this database on their website. Mm -hmm. You know, it is very unlikely that one agent had 50,783 listings, yeah. <laughs> okay? Um, so you already see the whole database of properties available. Now, if you start to contact different agents, it will just be super confusing, okay? That's why I like to advise potential buyers or buyers who want who are looking to buy a property here, Start to find an agent you like to work with and then go from there and let them do the work, you know. So it doesn't matter if I'm using Camilla, Jessica or Marina. In the end, you're all pulling the properties from the same pool pretty much, right? Yes, we do. And that's very correct. But it's still very important that you click with the agent because it's so important for us agents to understand what our buyers want. And we need to understand what they want because... Um, and there you will see the big difference in, in, in agents. And, you know, some you think, yeah, you really understand what I'm looking yeah. for. That's why I work a lot with German buyers, for example, because we have sort of the same mentality and mm -hmm. I do, you know, feel them and I understand what they want. Um, and only that... 
You yeah, know, so it's basically, to... you know, when you find somebody that you like, you trust and you think is professionally enough, you know, give them the full overview, let them get to know you and they can do the job for you. But if you're kind of stretching it out and, you know, you end up with three agents, in the end, they're using all the same resource and they're probably putting less effort into that, especially if they find out that you're using another Very agent. True. So. Very true. Um, I mean, listen. I admit, you know, from time to time, you know, I've tried to find direct properties as well. And, you know, not always, uh, you know, using the agents, but also for somebody that's coming from abroad, um, I think it's just, you know, it's a free resource. We're going to we're gonna get to that in a, in a minute. But I wanted to also ask before we move on to the next question, is becoming a realtor somehow regulated by Costa del Sol in the law? Or do you need a license or something like that? No, and I can say, unfortunately, not. But I have heard that um, there is like a committee now talking about it. And in my opinion, it should be regulated because basically everyone can become a real estate agent here. And mm -hmm. I don't think this is great because if you don't have experience and you know you don't know what you're talking about, and I'm sure we go more into this later because it depends a lot on licenses and due diligence is really important. Um, so, no, there's no regulation now, but I really hope there will be in the future. So I guess also because, you know, when I asked you how can a potential buyer find a good agent, let's say they don't know anybody that has purchased here recently. So, you know, you said, okay, a lot of people and nationalities, they want to get an agent who's the same nationality that they feel comfortable, you know, exchanging in their, uh, in their own language. So maybe you can give a little bit of tips, like what kind of questions should a buyer ask from a realtor when considering hiring one? So kind of interviewing, maybe the buyer can interview a little bit the realtor and what kind of questions they should ask to make sure that this uh, person that they found on Google is not, you know, somebody that's a part-time waitress, part-time uh, real estate agent or, you know, has been around about two weeks, you know. Well, I mean, obviously... <clears throat> I think when you first talk to someone, then you get a feeling of, do they know what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. I think they are... But if you don't know what you're doing, then, you know, obviously you might not recognize it. If that I'm is very honest. true. Now, there are two different types of agencies. There are big agencies and there are small agencies. Mm -hmm. I consider myself as a very small agency. Mm -hmm. So I have the contact with the buyer from start to the end. So the first contact, the first interview I do to the buyer, because the more I know about their search, mm -hmm. the better I can find a property. Until we go to the notary and sign the sale, I'm going to do everything with my client. You will get in touch maybe as a buyer with big agencies. Yeah, where brand you speak, names that you know, Yeah, for you speak to a telemarketer and then they pre-qualify you and then they pass on what you are looking for to their agent. Someone else plans the tour and then someone else picks you up from your hotel. Um, you don't really have the personal contact, which doesn't mean it's it's it, it doesn't need to be bad in a way, but mm -hmm. I prefer the more personal contact. Well, ask your realtor, how long have you been in the industry? And which areas are you focusing on? Yeah. That's very important because I focus on certain areas. The other day, a client, um, or yeah, a potential buyer contacted me. Uh, we are looking to buy in the area of either East Marbella, Mijas Costa, or Estepona. Can you help us? And I said, I'm more than happy to help you in the area of East Marbella and Mijas but I don't help you or I can't really help you in the same way uh, in Estepona because I don't know the market well. I can't lead you and guide you on prices because I'm not too familiar with the area. So maybe yeah. stick to someone for, for a certain area. If you're open to the area and you just want to buy an investment and you don't really care at the beginning if you buy in Ben Almadena or in Estepona, then I maybe recommend maybe even get two agents because someone who specialized in the Ben Almadena area won't be able to be specialized also in the Estepona area. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, but the agents also, good agents, they collaborate between each other. Um, because like you said, you know, if, if you have the knowledge and experience in, in East Marbella and the client comes to you and, you know, you don't feel as comfortable guiding them in Estepona, then you would find an agent that yes. collaborates with you and, you know, Correct. organize everything for them. So, um you know, being the devil's advocate over here, like you said, the market is not regulated. There is so many unprofessional realtors in the market. I mean, thinking of any fun stories and the experiences to share. Um, I, I'll start with mine, you know. Um, I've had uh, I've had a viewing of a, of a property. I went to see a, a three-bedroom property. When I walked in and, you know, we went to the bedroom. We went to the kitchen, the living room, the terrace, bedroom one, bedroom two. But then what <laughs> didn't exist was the bedroom three. Oh. So the agent was looking at the paper, was looking at the apartment. I said, okay, where's the third bedroom? Couldn't find one. 
she didn't even know that it was a two-bedroom apartment. I was like, bless her, honestly. I, well, like, I didn't even know what to say at that point, you know. And then there is other things because, you know, I don't understand what happens exactly. But, you know, there is, especially if I've looked in some of the older communities, not the developing areas, uh, on the resale properties, um, some people have listed their properties with agencies from uh, Madrid. You know, for example, yeah. so you're getting hold of the agent and you try to do the viewing literally for a house that's like one kilometer down the road for me. It's been a pain in the ass. I mean, I've been chasing and chasing and chasing them. And I feel so, you know, once when I finally got the contact, you know, with the, with the agent and I managed to agree the viewing, um, I mean, the, the owner of the apartment was there and said, well, yeah, you know, the guy brought me the first viewing in two months. I said, yeah, because it took me like a month to get hold of him. Yeah, you but know? the same thing for buyers finding a good realtor is the same for sellers, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is... Yeah, if it's you, a two-way it, street, right? hundred percent, because I'm uh, more, I'd say, a listing agent than, than a buyer's agent. <clears throat> I like to list properties and sell them. And... There, oh my God, I mean, I've seen everything. And it really, if you achieve a good price and a fast sale, it depends so much on your agent. Mm. But um, let's say that, you know, I'm not ready to, I'm not there yet. I've done my due diligence, but, you know, before I take the step of uh, going to, a, to an agent, uh, you know, I just want to kind of get a sense of the market. So from your recommendation, are there any platforms or websites, you know, where a potential buyer could kind of spend a little bit of time scanning and getting to know the market? Yes. I mean, uh, as we were, we were saying before, a lot of agencies use the entire um, database of resale mm -hmm. properties as a platform for their website. So, you so it's connected, basically. It is, it, so it, yes. it doesn't matter if I go to Camilla Liftinger, Engelbölkers, you know, no, blah, 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 blah. might blah, blah. be a little bit different, okay. but let's say uh, me and, 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 and a lot of other agents use this platform. So if I go to the website and do a search, then the search engine actually ties back to the... Correct. I okay. mean, for example, on my website, I have I have it a little bit separate because mm -hmm. I think it's important for buyers to to know that this might not be your exclusive listing. So I have my exclusive listing, okay. and then I have another database for extended database. It's called, which gives the buyer um, the opportunity to see all all potential properties. And then you will see also as a client, like looking on different websites, you always come across the same properties. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's the thing because you know sometimes it's like. It's very confusing for buyers to understand. And I come across that all the time, that, I, that, that someone contacts me who has already contacted 17 other agencies before. And then I try to explain them how it works. But by then, they're already completely confused. Uh, but anyway, it's a good tool to um, yeah, check out different agencies' websites. Mm -hmm. Maybe don't contact them all at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, but save the links of the properties you like. Then we have other uh, very important and big websites and platforms here, which is called Idealista, for example. Mm -hmm. Idealista is also a good platform to look for properties, although not all the properties are updated or might be not, um, you know, up to date. Do you use Idealista for advertising? Not at the moment. Why? Honestly, yeah. like just okay. It out. I'll be very honest. If you have a listing, or yeah. if I have a listing, and I put it out in a newsletter or on Facebook or on my website, mm -hmm. I can be sure that some agent is copying the pictures and the text, and it's going to put it on Idealista because Idealista unfortunately doesn't regulate the agents or vendors. So there can be multiple listings on there. Like one, my listing, which I actually have exclusive, might be on Idealista with twelve different agents. Already. And that's why I don't advertise on Idealista anymore at the moment. You know, um, I can tell you a little bit from my experience as a seller. Um, because, you know, where I come from, uh, Estonia, we have, I think, about three... Uh, different main, let's say, main uh, platforms uh, that uh, are used for listing uh, uh, real estate ads for uh, sale and to, and to buy, for example, you know. And, and over here, it's true. I mean, there is also a few different ones. I think Quiero, uh, Spanish Property yeah. Insight and so yeah, forth, but Idealista being the main one. Photocasa so, is big Exactly, Photocasa, yeah. yeah. So Idealista being the main one and... Um, you know, obviously, as a, as a beginner investor, I want to make the most of the profit. So I've tried everything, you know, and I tried to sell a property without an agent. I said, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. How did it go? Um, 
it well let me how did it go yeah exactly uh, a lot of patience you have to have so I listed yeah. my property with Italista uh, as an ad you know it's quite expensive I think I yeah, paid you know expensive. for a month I think about I don't know 100 something mm-hmm. euros to to keep it up for example it was a two bedroom in uh, in, in Mabea and by how many direct clients were you contacted or was it mainly that's agents that's what I'm gonna yeah. get that so during the time that my property was listed I mean like I said previously you know I work in the luxury hospitality field you know I'm a passionate marketer and the, and the salesperson myself so obviously I know how to position the property in that sense that you know I made sure that I had you know an appealing text I had amazing uh, photography done you know I staged the property and so forth so I'm pretty confident in my input on on when it came to creating the ad because I know sometimes you know the direct owners who don't have the experience you know the pictures can be horrific the oh, yeah. description doesn't really <laughs> you know live up but I was like you know what I can do that part you know and, and I'm confident I can do it well and I put it out there and I had let's say in the first three weeks I had about 56 inquiries out of the 56 inquiries I had two direct clients yeah. and 54 were agents. agents that contacted me telling me that either they have a potential client or they would like to market my property. So in my mind, I was like, okay, if I'm going to list it direct and sell it direct, I'm going to save on the commission that I have to pay to the real estate agent. But in the end, what I realized is that I still had to... uh, pay, like, let's say, split the commission uh, with an agent to contact me. Because if, if an agent tells me I have a buyer, but I'm not going to bring them unless you give me the commission. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I have to pay half anyway. And what I realized even more down the road, I think for agents who are just starting out in the business, this is the fishing ground, right? 100%. So, a, yeah, you know, 100%. It, it was a lot of, you know, if you have a hot property, I guess, you know, in you live here, you speak the language, you can represent yourself in the deal, you have the time to deal with it, you know, okay, give it a try, you know. But if you have a property, and my property was like more up on the golf course, it wasn't like, you know, a, um, a straightforward sale. I kind of, I gave it a try because I wanted to learn also because, you know, one of my things is always like you have to try everything mm-hmm. yourself, you know. Yep. Whether I think it's right or it's wrong, you know, I have to try through it because how do I otherwise know how to argue with you on, on that yeah, point, Yeah, but this is what, what, what people think, you know. Uh, if if I had nothing to do with real estate but I have a property for sale, I would probably think the same way because as yeah. you said, you know how to take nice pictures, you know how to present the property. So, of course, you try it yourself. Yeah, and then you find yourself. <laughs> yeah, and and, then, and you know after a certain time, you know I switched and I, I got uh, I got an agent to to list it and to to sell it for me. But uh, it was an eye opening experience. But then the other experience I had is that um, I uh, I had a house for uh, for sale, let's say, and there was a group of uh, investors, um, you know, um, a group that uh, traveled over here, you know, a community that kind of came to see different uh, property and real estate and kind of see what opportunity were around here and you know one of the properties that they saw was my property that Mm -hmm. was you know at the time for a sale and uh, very interesting question you know because let's say that uh, uh, the guy asked okay so you know if I want to buy something in this area you know that particular area was Elviria. Yeah. You know, it's like, you you know, what you think is like more or less like, you know, let's say a two bedroom apartment and so forth. And, you know, I'm, I was kind of familiar with the area. So I gave my five cents and he was like, yeah, but I saw in the lista, you know, you could buy something 170. <sighs> and I was like, you know what? And I explained to him, I said, you know what, then go to the list and try because I guarantee you the 10 properties you're going to find that you're going to like and you're going to call them up. They either don't exist Either they're fake, they're made up, or they've been sold years ago. And why the agents list these ads over there is you're going to contact them. They say, oh, this was just sold, but what's your budget? Then maybe I can help you with something else, you know. So it's a fishing ground as well. So you can't take everything seriously. I mean, has it's good and bad? I mean, definitely we need a platform like this. I mean, note for the future ourselves that, you know, maybe uh, we get somebody from Idealista to to come and talk about the future plans and how to kind of improve the system. Because I do think that both for the buyers and the sellers and the agents, you know, it is a tool that is desperately needed. And, and you know, the current one, I, I feel it has quite a it bit needs, of mistakes. It needs regulation. It needs regulation, 100% yeah. agree. And that's why I don't really like to work with Idealista. Although it's the biggest platform in Spain, and I did sell with Idealista yeah. before because you have the chance there that direct clients contact you. But it needs to be regulated. And yeah. everyone can be on there. And it doesn't, you know, it, as you said, they are sold three years ago. Uh, it's, 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 it's fishing and uh, it's no fun and it's unprofessional and I don't like the way they work. 
And one of the other things that kind of annoys me is that I think when you list the property over there, you do it by the cadastral number. So you have to enter the cadastral number. Not to on Idealista. That's why everyone can copy your list. Because what happens is that uh, when you list it, it gives... Like, let's say, because, you know, how it works in when you when you come to Spain, at least, I know certain communities that I like. I know that I love, I don't know, I'm just bringing random examples. Señor de Marbella, mm-hmm. Aloha Golf, you know, whatever it is. La Dama de Noche, yeah. let's say, name of the urbanizations. And for me, my first thing would be if I decide to buy something over here, I want to, you know, maybe have certain communities in mind that I've stayed. Maybe I stayed during the Airbnb. Maybe I know somebody that owns over there. And, you know, I want to try to kind of search information on the internet. I don't want to bother a realtor because maybe I'm not ready to yeah, buy yeah. today. I'm ready just to buy in to a year. But I want to get information. And you yeah. can't do that because, I mean, I mean, half the properties are like either the space is hidden or it's like, uh, I mean, there is uh, properties that they say, oh, it's in this urbanization, but then it's actually like 10 kilometers away. So it's like, I know, I know it's very, uh, very complicated, but on Idealista and that's what I said. That's what I don't like about this platform because everyone can copy the pictures and copy the pay uh, and copy the text and put it on Idealista. There is another platform we use as agents and it's called Resales Online. And that is uh, a platform which is used by agents only. Okay. Mm-hmm. I also wish there would be some more regulations because basically everyone can open an account with Resales Online. If you have a company though, not as a private individual. Also. Really? Yes. I think I went through it because I was at one moment peeking, having my sneak peek over there. <laughs> no, you know? I mean, unless uh, I think something has be, changed yeah. and I don't know, I think everyone can, as long as you pay, you can also be a member of uh, of the Resales Online platform. I think you need to be registered as a private individual, as an autonomous autonomo. or, or something. Yeah, but, but you know, it's like, I mean, if I'm a Mary okay, from yeah. UK, I can't. No, okay. Yeah. But to be an autonomous is also not yeah. very difficult. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that you know what you're doing. You yeah, know, yeah. that's what I mean. But uh, this platform is uh, very important for us and I use it a lot. And there it's a little bit more regulated because you as an agent, when you put on a property on Resales Online, you need to put in the catastrophe reference, which means there can't be duplicates. Mm-hmm. They More agents can put prop- the same property on them, but they are basically lined up behind each other. And the first one who puts it on it, it's the one which is visible to other agents and the one which gets duplicated onto the agency's website. So this is a very important tool uh, for us agents, or at least for me, I like to work with Resales Online. Yeah, because I got curious about this Resale Online and because, you know, I do have a company as well. So I did actually that. I thought, you know what, let me go and take a sneak peek over there because I want to buy something. And I was like, well, I can represent myself uh, in the deal as a, as a buyer. And, you know, if I buy from an agent, I just, you know, pay them half the commission and, you know, hey, you know, good saving over there. I looked through some properties. I called up a few agents. They just flat out. I, I told I'm representing a client who wants to buy. They just sent me to the place where the sun doesn't shine because they're like, where's your office? How many employees you have? I was like, fucking hell. I was like, you know. No. Yeah, but the good thing there, you can filter and you can do preferred. Yeah, but it's not like, you know, you think that you can just sign up and work with anybody. No, because most agents, they want to know who you are and they want to make sure you're not doing the monkey business. So obviously yes. I tried. I tried to be cheeky. You know, it didn't get through the thing, you know. Just one person just literally hanged up on me after yeah. hearing I was like, you know, a starting agent or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but we agents need to protect ourselves against these pirates in the business. Yeah. When someone, you know, I get emails uh, on a daily basis from agents I never heard of before. I mm-hmm. meet new agents here on a daily basis where you think Costa del Sol is big, but come on, you know, yeah. it seems like everyone is an agent. So when agents contact me and they want to see a property I have listed on resales online and um, they ask if I share the commission with them and we get to that mm-hmm. sooner because we usually collaborate and share our commissions, I check or I ask if they are registered agents because I don't want to work with Mary from England. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> nothing Mary. against Mary from England, <laughs> Mary. but I like to work with professionals. And, you, you know, every everyone yeah. starts somewhere. I also started at some point. And nothing against unexperienced agents, because we only get to where we are with the time and with the experience. Yeah. But, you know, um, I like to work with serious people. So, you know, why should a person use a realtor? What services or benefits do they offer over here to the buyer? Because I think also the realtor's role, depending on the country, is very different. So, you know, what about in Spain, you know, just in a nutshell? Yeah, I th- you mean from the vendor side or from the buyer side? From, uh, from the buyer side, from the for buyer example. Side. Yeah. Yeah, well, or actually, yeah, from the... Well, it's a very different 
thing I'd say. But let's talk about mm -hmm. the buyer, okay? I think if you, as a buyer, find a realtor you like and you get along with and who understands what you're looking for, it is definitely a profit because that's what we're, we're saying before. If you, if you go through all the... You will find yourself, as a buyer, when you contact a realtor out of the blue through their website to see a property you will most likely end up in a viewing with two realtors and you don't know why, you know. Mm -hmm. That's why I think it is important to use a realtor because they have the network and the network of agents they work with is so important, you know. If you try to find a property to buy from a vendor directly, it's very difficult and the same the other way around and probably more the other way around. I see a lot of vendors who try to sell their properties mm -hmm, direct, direct yeah. and they say in their advertisement on Facebook or Idealista, no agents. And I'm always thinking, good luck, you know, because you need this network of agencies to be able to faster find uh, a buyer for your property. So I think maybe an important thing to clarify, and I'm asking this question knowing the answer, does having a realtor cost anything to the buyer? And I'm asking it because, for example, where I come from in Estonia, it's not common to use a realtor to represent you when I'm looking to buy something. But obviously here, having a lot of foreign buyers, you know, they don't go directly to, you know, to, to look at the properties themselves. So quite often they would need to take the realtor. Um, does it cost anything to the buyer? Well, first to start answering this question, I think the language barrier is a very important point why you should use a, 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 a realtor. Yeah, mm -hmm. because if you're German and you're not, you, you don't speak Spanish and you're not so good in English, it's going to be super difficult. Um, no, it doesn't cost you anything because the um, the vendor pays the commission. I mean, yes, at the end it costs you something because you pay the price. Yeah, for the but property. I mean, you wouldn't save that because how are you going to find a direct yeah. uh, seller over here? You but, don't. You don't. But save. you don't pay for the services. Like for example, no. if I buy a property that's two hundred thousand, doesn't say, oh, you you paid also a commission to the realtor that represented you in the deal. Like you don't exactly. see that because in the back end it it hurts the pocket of the seller, so called. Hundred percent. Right? If you. Uh, you have to understand as a buyer to buy a property with a realtor, whether you have to, uh, you, you contact only one or several, it, it, it's, it, you won't save. Because yeah. to find a property, a buyer finds a property direct from the vendor, good luck, great, probably happens, but it's very rare. Yeah, uh, So it doesn't cost you anything to contract a realtor and do the work for you. Okay, so before I'm going to dig into your pockets and see how much money you make, we're going to take a little <laughs> break and uh, we're going to, you know, tune back uh, in after the break and, and we continue. See you soon. Enjoying the podcast? Then join our growing community on Facebook and follow us on Instagram for the latest updates. More information in the show notes. So welcome back from the break and now we're going to get to the interesting stuff, you know. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, I want to know how much you're making, you know. So what's the average commission of a realtor and who covers the cost? Okay, so the average commission here in Marbella area on the Costa del Sol is 5%. Okay, usually vendor pay 5% commission plus VIT, plus mm. tax, mm -hmm. uh, which in most cases of the sale we share equally in between the two agents involved in a sale. So what's the average percentage on your experience or, you know, maybe not on your experience, but what's the market uh, average? Like how often do you make 5% direct from the sale and how often do you share the commission with another agent? In this case, I can only talk for myself mm -hmm. because I know agencies who work different than, differently than me. But as I work for myself and I'm a small agency, mm -hmm. I'm more than happy to collaborate a lot with other agents. So if I'm really honest, I'd say that 90% of my sales are shared commission deals okay. with other agents. 5%, you know, that's why I guess also a lot of the sellers, you know, they try to avoid using the agents because, you know, a million... What, 5%, 50,000? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. But, you know, a lot of people always think, oh, you agents, you earn so much money. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. Also, you need to put into this business um, to make it work and make a good living out of it. I'm going to ask a cheeky question. Uh -huh. How many sales you make average in a month? Or let's say how many sales you would be happy to make average in a month? Um, you as a let's person. talk about the year because this okay. is this is easier. Uh, so far this year, I'm on 17 sales, which is pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. I always try to make more sales or let's say more profit than the year before. Um, uh, obviously, if you 
ask the same question to a big real estate agent, they will laugh about 17 sales per year. Yeah. But uh, I always aim for, um, yeah, 15 to 20 sales a year. And are there any months that, you know, you can say absolutely that, you know, this is the peak season for sales and buyers and this is the low season for sales and buyers? Or is it really like, you know, really depends from year to year? Because you've been here 15 yeah. years, so obviously you have some kind of historical data to lean on. Yeah, um, I mean, I did sales on the 31st of December, or let's <laughs> say I took deposits on the 31st of December. Um, usually we say springtime and autumn time is a good time maybe to put your property on the market. Why? Because in summer, uh, this coast turns into a tourist uh, hub and there are a lot of people making holiday here. And some of them are maybe not serious. And, you know, when there's a rainy day in August, they go to an agent and they think, oh, let's have a look at some properties. So mm -hmm. you find the more serious buyers in the springtime and the autumn time. Although I've noticed that I think in July and August, when it's absolutely hot and disgusting sometimes even outside to go and see the properties you do have a lot of uh, new buyers let's say from the arab countries yeah. uae lebanon and so forth that they do come in in july and august and they do make the sales uh, happen you know of course i mean yeah. yeah you can't really say which time is better than the other but what i've noticed a lot of people who come here on holiday in summer for the first time and then they got the idea, oh, it's actually nice here. Maybe we look at the property markets, come back in autumn and the winter time, and then actually complete on the property purchase. So walk me through the process when somebody gets in touch with the realtor. Okay, so what I do, and I, I bought this sheet here with me. Obviously, you can't mm -hmm. see it, but I mean, you can see it, Gretel. I, I have a sheet. I, I basically interview my clients, mm -hmm. yeah, because the more I know of a client, what they want to buy, the better I find the properties. Again, here, I work for myself. I have no time to lose. I want to, to find or to do a deal as soon as possible to be able to move on to the next one. Yeah. So for me, it's very important to narrow down the properties which can be uh, perfect for this buyer instead of going around and show them 25 properties a day because there's yeah. no point, okay? So the first things I ask is obviously, what do you want to buy? Apartment, townhouse, villa, plot, commercial property. Yeah, so this is the first uh, first questions. And then what is very important for me to know is the use of the property or the reason of purchase. Uh, it could be permanent living. It could be a holiday home. It could be as an investment to rent out long term, to rent out short term, an investment only to flip and renovate or a combination of a few of them. I'd say my average buyer from Germany, for example, buys a property here, they use it as a holiday home, but also rent it in the summer months or maybe even in the winter months to cover their costs. So I need to find out all the, the, the reason of purchasing a property here. Then I need to know the size, the amount of bedrooms, um, you know, the, the location, of course. A lot of people don't know where they want to buy, so I give them an advice uh, of my experience. But that depends on the budget as that, well, I guess. I'm just going to say, yeah. the, the, the big question or the most important question is, what is their budget? Yeah. And now, you know, I can tell you a hundred funny stories of uh, people who tell me they want to buy an apartment with two bedrooms, walking distance to the sea, sea views, close to restaurant, East Mabea with a budget of 180,000 euros. Yeah. So I need to make sure or it's make like, yeah <laughs> no but I, you need to explain them this is not going to happen okay yeah. you know why did you not call me seven years ago but now it's too late so i either need to you know orientate them on other areas um, yeah what it can get you because i guess you know for every property there is a buyer and for every budget there is a good investment 100%. you know sometimes it's a garage exactly. but sometimes yeah, it's exactly. a two-bedroom apartment exactly. you know so and then i always ask for the no-goes and the must-haves mm -hmm. Um, and this is where you really get your information from your need. Do you need an underground garage? Uh, which orientation? Do you like morning sun? Do you like evening sun? And obviously, do they need a mortgage or not? If someone says to me, uh, yeah, I'm interested in buying a property, but I need a mortgage. Cool. Speak to your bank and then call me back. Yeah. Because there's no point in starting to look to buy a property or look for property and you don't have your mortgage in place because this is a waste of time for you and this is a waste of time for me. So you need to speak to your bank first and get, you know, you cannot get the 100% guaranteed mortgage approval without having the property you want to buy. But at least you can talk to your bank or your mortgage broker about the possibilities. And then 
I uh, get a selection down for the clients. I always send my clients the window cards, pictures and information and the property location before and I want the clients to make their selection. Sometimes I have a little surprise in the pocket which I like to show them because it just came up but the the more it it you know it fits their search the criteria the, yeah. the mm -hmm. easier you know, one of the interesting points that you mentioned there, and I want to kind of bring it up, is the orientation of the property. Very important. Because uh, coming from Estonia, so it's interesting because, you know, you live, you learn. I was buying recently, you know, I wanted to get a full sea view property because it's like, you know what, that's timeless. That's always going to increase in money, you know, in the in the capital gain and so forth. So, But then I realized that in Estonia, all the properties that have a full sea view are facing the whatever it's called, because I'm really bad with the orientation, you know, <laughs> north or whatever. It never has basically direct daylight, right? Oh, so it's north-facing. I, I think it's exactly, it's north-facing, you know. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and another agent just told me, it's like, I never understood. It's like why people want to buy Seaview apartments in Estonia, because it's always north-facing. Oh, and in a country where you have daylight, like, you know, best case scenario, three, four hours a day, you know, how most of the time, you know, it's, uh, it's a pity. But then over here, for example, I've owned properties that are, not north facing, I think, but, you know, uh, have had the best facing apartments, have had the kind of the medium ones and then the, the worst. Coming from Estonia, you know, somebody might say, I want the south and the southwest facing. I want the best direction. I want all day sun. I can tell you the all day sun it's overheating your apartment, mm -hmm. you know. So it's quite often, like, you know, when you come from a northern country where you're used to having bad climate, where you're used to having, you know, darkness all the time, mm -hmm. you think that this is the orientation. Yes, if you buy probably in, in Germany, if you buy in Estonia, Belgium, you know, it's important because, you know, it's the natural light. It's about the natural light. But if you come to Mabea, I wouldn't be so stuck on the orientation. I'm not saying, you know, go and buy the north-facing apartments all the time. Although that also can be appeal because as long as it has, you know, big open windows you know it's nice not to have the sun constantly shining through because the properties over here at least whatever was built and I'm talking about resale properties and that's my personal experience everything that was built here you know let's say in the beginning of the 2000s right and I think even up to you know probably 2010 12 15 none of these properties have besides air conditioning any other regulation newer uh, properties new builds now have uh, you know underfloor heating or yeah. different types of how you can you know heat and regulate the, the coolness of the apartment but the rest just have the air conditioning and quite often the properties that have like you know the straight on sun all day long they're just so freaking hot um true but i think argue. i have a slightly different opinion on Tell that me. um orientation is very important and it's also very important for the value of the properties i mean talking about sea views we know that yeah, sea, sea view is yeah. more expensive yeah. of course you can easily pay a hundred thousand euros yeah. more just to have but it's really view. that having really the south facing or having the west facing apartment which kind of gets sun but you know maybe not all day sun does it really make a difference yeah, it can make a difference. Because if you live inside there, I, I feel it doesn't. I would never advise someone to buy a north orientation. I mean, there are not many properties anyway yeah. with a north yeah. orientation because then you would basically would look inland. Yeah. Um, but it is not, you know, if you want to resell. And I always yeah. tell my clients, you need to always think about reselling your property, whether you want or not. But maybe you are in the position that you yeah, quickly need to yeah. sell the property. And then <clears throat> the better, I mean, is east-facing orientation better than south-facing? It really depends on what you want. But in general, we say here, um, the best value properties are southwest orientations, obviously, with sea views. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because okay, in the summer, the sun is right into your property, but in the winter, it's actually quite nice. Yeah. And we know, I, I, it's cold now. It's probably 20 degrees outside, but I'm already cold. Oh my God, you know? so, <laughs> we're going to get slaughtered um, <laughs> by the people listening from abroad. The you know? sun is important and the orientation yeah. is important. But some I just think prefer... it's not as important as people from the northern countries that uh, they come, they think, you know, it's like it's not either or. There is quite few nice options in between, especially yes, if you're looking to, to live, because I lived personally in different orientation apartments, and, you know, there is a difference, but, uh, you know, there is a good and bad for the both sides, 100%. I feel, you know, especially 100%. buying a resale, like I yeah. said, you know, that are older properties, you know. Correct. Um, let's say that, you know, um, 
I've contacted Camilla, you know, I filled out your form and we're going to see the properties. What kind of, cli- uh, what kind of questions do you advise your client to, to ask when going to see the properties? So what's the top tips and tricks that, you know, maybe I'm not even going with Camilla. Maybe I found a direct uh, vendor and I'm just going to see myself and I want to know what to ask. I think what is very important to know for a future property owner is the costs, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether you buy a house or an apartment in a community, the first question you should ask is the community fees. Mm -hmm. Because community fees here can be, let's say, for an average two-bedroom apartment, can be anything between 90 euros and 1,000 euros, Mm -hmm. yeah? So there's a wide range of this. Why? Why? Because it, it depends on different factors. One factor is, a community is built on a certain amount of plot, mm-hmm. okay? Let's say 10,000 square meters plot. Now, a community can have uh, 20 apartments or 250 apartments. Mm-hmm. So obviously, the more apartments share a certain percentage of the plot size, then it's less community fees rather than the community is smaller and has, for example, larger apartments. But then it also depends what the community has to offer. Amount of pools, maybe there's a heated pool, maybe there's a garage, maybe there's super nice gardens and three gardeners on a daily basis, eight hours unnecessary. Tennis or gym, courts. Tennis court, whatever. Security. Yeah, it depends a lot. You obviously look in your budget okay so if you have a budget of 1.5 million euros let's say for an apartment you should be aware of the community fees are being Mm -hmm. higher in other things is the tax here in spain there is three things you pay uh, for your property it's a community fees you pay them usually per year or in the quarter you pay the eb which is the local tax and that can vary a a lot also Uh, usually apartments are cheaper than houses and that's once a year correct that's once a Mm -hmm. year exactly and twice a year you pay the so-called basura which is the rubbish tax and mm-hmm. di- different, um, let's say. I think that's pretty much similar the same. in every area. A house mm-hmm. or an apartment, Mijas Costa, mm-hmm. uh, will be the same. But these costs are very important to ask. So I guess, you know, in addition to these, what you just mentioned, are there any specific aspects you recommend considering when the buyer is also, you know, specifically keen on finding an investment property? Is there any other cost that they should be? Because obviously, you know, when you make an investment, you need to run your calculations, right? So you said also, you know, the community fees, uh, you know, your annual tax, uh, your, you know, garbage tax. Is there anything else that the potential buyers should be aware of or questions they should be asking on, on when seeing a property? Yeah, very important. Mm-hmm. And there, going back to how professional a realtor is and how good they know their properties um, and obviously the laws, if you want to rent out a property, it needs to have a touristic license. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't have one, at least you should be able to get one. And mm-hmm. that depends on a few factors like first occupancy license and other things like that. And mm-hmm. I think we go more deeply into this uh, later. Um but that's very important, okay? Another thing which is very important is the tax you have to pay when you rent out a property. Now, I am a realtor and I tell you everything about the property. But if it comes to tax, I always recommend a tax advisor or recommend you to get in touch with a tax advisor Mm -hmm. to know exactly the tax you have to pay when renting uh, a property. I think also one of the things that I learned as when when going to see the properties is uh, to try to dig, like, let's say that, you know, you narrowed down your choice to a few properties. Uh, it's very important to get to know the community and the people running the community. Um I mean, exactly, we're going to go more in depth into that. But obviously, uh, for example, I had an apartment Mm -hmm. which uh, I bought. And during that time, it was okay to do to, you know, the short term rentals. And during the time when I owned the property, the community suddenly came together and decided to ban yeah, the the short term rentals saying, listen, we're a you know community that you know we just want our peace and quiet. We don't want any holiday you know rentals over here. I mean, there is few different aspects to that because obviously they could only forbid the properties that hadn't entered into the short term rental yeah. business. So obviously, me having the license, they couldn't forbid me to do so. And I guess I'm also happy to announce that one of the coming episodes, you know, we're going to be featuring uh, a, a good friend and the, and the lawyer that's gonna you know help us. Um, dive into all these different legal aspects and, you know, the legality of these kind of requests. But, you know, that's an interesting topic to know because, you know, you need to know also what's the mindset kind of, you know, it's always good to ask the community meeting notes, you know, maybe even dating back to a few years to kind of know what's happening there. What's the mindset? What's the discussions, you know, because they're all documented. So that's very important uh, to dig into that and check out the community 
meeting um, sheets and, and find out mm -hmm. about this. This is something which is super important if you rent out your property. And this is obviously something your lawyer will do also. When I have the listing, I know these facts. Very important. For example, in my community where I own a property, which I rent, an apartment, they have the regulation. Because a lot of neighbors are not so happy about the rentals, which mm -hmm. I do understand. In summer, it can get like noisy and very busy. So they found a way that if you have the touristic license and you rent out your property, your community fee goes up by 30 Per yeah, but that's another thing that I want to find out from lawyer. Is that even legal to charge higher community fees to a person doing the short-term rental well, or not? it would be nice to find out for me because yeah. if it's not, then... Yeah, then, exactly. No, yeah, but you, you really have to look into that. And another thing which you just mentioned, a lot more communities now, and I don't think it's clever, uh, try to forbid the the holiday rentals. You now, as you an owner... put the value down. Exactly. As an owner, you need to understand that if you at some point want to sell your property, you target less potential buyers because the people who want yeah. to rent, they are not of interest anymore in your apartment. Now, whether this is actually legal or not, this is something I definitely want to ask the lawyer. Yeah, I think, you know, in Andalusia, we're lucky because I've heard that our uh, short-term rental uh, business over here is a lot more lenient than it is, you know, to some of the neighboring regions, you know, talking a little bit about Mallorca and, and Ibiza, the Balearics, where, you know, I, I go for work quite often and I see what's happening over there. Um, but again, you know, that's another interesting topic that, we, you know, yeah. we're going to have a special episode on and we're going to really deep dive into the, the short-term uh, rental aspects, you know, and, and, you know, what you should know. So, um, so you know, talking through all of that because you know in in Estonia again I, I know I bring a lot of comparisons and parallels you know to but this my is, sorry home to country. interrupt you sorry sorry um this is very interesting because the property market in Estonia in Germany in France in the UK is completely different than here especially the purchase process is very yeah. different and it's so important for us as realtors to explain let's say the Germans that it doesn't work here like it works in Germany. Yeah. And that's why I think it is actually very interesting to bring up these different markets and compare with Estonia because for a lot of listeners, I'm sure this is quite interesting. Exactly. But then also talking about the due diligence. So just in a nutshell, to summarize what you already said, what kind of due diligence does the realtor or is the realtor supposed to do for the buyer? There are two types of due diligence. There's one you do when you list a property to sell. And I think this and is And I'm talking maybe important. more for the buyers. Uh... The due diligence you do for the buyer. Okay, so now this has a lot to do with my experience. Mm -hmm. Because here in Mijas Costa area, East Mabea, I know all the communities, every street. I, I, I know a lot about mm -hmm. the properties. There are maybe certain communities I wouldn't even offer to my clients. Mm -hmm. Because I know they have license issues and they have some other sort of property problems. So I wouldn't even offer them. And this is the, the due diligence I do for my buyer is my experience. Mm -hmm. And then okay. obviously, sorry, um, once a buyer decides to buy a property, the due diligence is done by the lawyer where they really dig into is everything paid? Do they have a mortgage? You know, is all OK with the title deeds, all the square meters? Correct. There's a lot to do, but this is usually the part of the lawyer. So maybe the next uh, next part, I have two questions. So, okay, we saw several properties. I finally found the way. I'm an absolutely in love with, you know, what's next? Yeah, well, next is my <laughs> favorite part of the business. It's ideally negotiating the best price for my client, the buyer. Okay. Okay. So Can you negotiate a lot in here? Usually you can. Mm. There's hardly any sale where you can't negotiate the price. But every negotiation is different. Sometimes you've done it within one hour and sometimes it drags out to 10 days of negotiation. It mm -hmm. also depends a lot on the, on the nationalities, mm -hmm. to be honest. When the buyer found the property they like, I usually advise them before on what I think about the price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Do I think the price advertises it's too expensive? Or is it the right price? The negotiation also really depends on how is the demand of this property. Especially in the last two years, I sold more properties for asking price and in two occasions actually over the asking price because oh. there might be 10 buyers who are super interested in this property. So obviously I don't advise my buyer, uh, let's say the property costs 250,000 euros, to start with an offer of 220,000 euros if I know that there are yeah. 20 buyers lined up, you know. You need to lead your your 
client or your buyer and then I'm going to do the rest. And I, in, in the best case, we negotiate a nice price and a good deal. And I know that we're going to go in depth because, you know, that's a very, very important part is the legal process of buying a property over here. I mean, we're going to have a whole other episode dedicated to that uh, actually coming up next. Um, so maybe just briefly, you tell me what is the difference between the reservation contract? So obviously, when you find a property that you like, you know, the first request, I think, to lock it in is, is a deposit payment. And then also a, a contract no, known as the PPC, which is the private purchase contract. Uh, what's the difference in them? And maybe just give me a little bit of a top uh, top line highlight on that. Okay, so the reservation contract is basically just a written form of what you have agreed. Okay, it mm -hmm. basically contains the details of the vendor, of the buyer, and the agreed price and the the address and some basic information. And usually the vendor agrees to take the property off market. Mm -hmm. yeah? And this is all what a reservation contract does. And that's between the buyer and the seller and usually done by the agents. There's no lawyer yet involved no. over there typically. Well, I mean, I always advise mm -hmm. uh, the buyers to have the reservation contract mm -hmm. checked by uh, the lawyer, yeah. but it depends, you know, sometimes they are really short, sometimes they are, you know, there are different types of reservation contracts. And I look forward to talking to a lawyer because also based on my experience, you know, we're not going to censor it, but, you know, it's like the reservation contract is worthless. You're it's literally, right. it's like, you know, you need to also have an honor and you need to have dignity and you need to have your word because, you know, I've had times, you know, when somebody paid me or vice versa when I paid for the property and, you know, it just becomes null and void because it's not legally really binding. Correct. I mean, the reservation contract has a, hasn't got a lot of meaning and that's why I always advise everyone to move on to the private purchase contract, contrato de arras, privata kaufvertrag, now we cover a few languages here, um, and get that signed by mm -hmm. both parties. And that is very... That's the first very, legally binding yeah, document it's a very that's binding, provided by the lawyers. Already. Yeah, that's done by the lawyers and that's, you know, there you talk about time frames, when do we go to notary, about the deposit. Oh, one thing with the reservation, usually properties below a value of 1 million euros, um, we ask 6,000 euros reservation fee to reserve the property. Mm. And with a private purchase contract, this is usually signed about two weeks after signing the reservation um, contract, depending on how efficient the lawyers are, where the buyer pays another 10%, and that is a very binding contract for both parties. So... Based on the experience or, you know, let's say your average home buyer, you know, two to three bedrooms, I'm not talking about houses or, you know, properties worth of million and million. How long does the process usually take to purchase a property over here? Because I feel it's kind of long compared yes. to, you know, some of the other experiences yeah. that I had abroad. Yeah, funny enough, also within the past years, the process has even got longer and longer and longer. Sometimes mm. I have purchase processes which takes four months. Yeah, um, The buyers become your family. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. While you're doing that. I mean, it, it really depends what people agree, okay? Mm. Before, let's say three years back when people asked me this question, mm -hmm. or buyers asked me this question, I said, an average time until completion is four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do the reservation contract, then within two weeks you do the private purchase contract, and then usually within a month's time you go to the notary. Mm -hmm. But now it seems like, um, yeah, people agree on three months. Uh, I had a completion within one week. Okay, let's say an average time is probably six to eight weeks. Okay, so it's it's kind of extended, like uh, a little bit longer than what yeah. it used to be. I guess also because, you know, I understand, you know, coming from abroad, there is a lot of different aspects. There is the translation part. Uh, there is a due diligence that needs to happen, especially, you know, for the properties that are, you know, in the Mabea zip code. Um, you know, let's say that we completed the purchase. So what kind of aftercare can a client expect from a realtor, if at all? Or will you just disappear and not answer my calls <laughs> yeah, anymore I usually, after I buy? <laughs> I usually bring them my bottle of champagne and goodbye. Um, for me, being... Delete me from Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> for me, being, uh, let's call let's call it a one-man show mm -hmm. and having very close contacts yeah. to my clients, the vendor or the buyer, um, I usually have a longer relationship with the buyers. And I usually say, look, if you buy a property through me, you basically buy me with you. Yeah, sometimes I I regret saying it because <laughs> a lot of people can be very demanding, others not. Um, 
they can always contact me for any questions. Yeah. Where do I buy my furniture? Where do I get a kitchen? Can you help me find a cheap internet um, company? Yeah. But I have to say, with a lot of clients, I build a super nice relationship. Just two years ago, I was in India on holiday with actually a client who bought a property with me. You know, you, oh, wow. you, you can build quite nice, um, intense relationships. Not with everyone, of course, yeah. but usually I'm there for my clients even after the purchase. I mean, I think you've given a pretty good glimpse to the day-to-day -day of the of the realtor and also, you know, what kind of services do they provide? Because like I said, each market is unique and, you know, I do believe that we have a lot of uh, foreign uh, listeners. So I just kind of, I'm not saying I, you know, I agree or recommend or go get a, you know, a, a realtor, but, you know, I just wanted to kind of give a glimpse of what the services entails over here. I think especially when buying in foreign market, and that's my personal opinion, you know, the service doesn't cost you anything. So yeah. go for it. Take everything you can out of it, you know, yeah. and kind of use all the tools given to you to, to do the best, you know, what uh, what you can. But maybe, you know, just finishing on, on that note, you know, before we get into our next episodes and, you know, where we're going to really dig deep into the different aspects of legality, tax and so forth, is to kind of uh, see what you recommend to somebody they listen to this episode and that maybe hasn't taken the first step but has been thinking about it. So what's your recommendation to uh, to somebody like that? Well, first, I'd like to say that, unfortunately, agents on the Costa del Sol don't have the best reputation. Okay, so also maybe this helps a little bit to um, bring up the reputations for, for agents because sometimes it's a little bit unfair and I see yeah. these comments on Facebook and and it's like, oh, come on, you know, we are not as bad. We also <laughs> do a good job and usually when we leave the notary, you have a happy vendor, you have a happy buyer and of course you have a very happy agent too <laughs> with a check in the pocket. Yeah. But, you know, we they are very good and honest and nice and helpful agents out there. It's the same then also not professional agents. Um, but if you have, if, if you want to get started as a buyer, um, do, do research. You know, take and do your, your due time. diligence exactly. I think do that's as important. Very you know? important. You know, take the time. Don't ru don't rush into buying a property. If you've never been here before, you've only been here on holiday. Get familiar with the areas. Drive around. See what you like. And uh, you know, check your bank account. Of course, yes. speak to maybe mortgage brokers. Even now, when the interest rates are high, you can still get good deals. And what you've said before, uh, you can get a mortgage even when you are uh, from Germany and you're not a resident here. Yeah. So look into all these aspects. And what I also recommend buyers, speak to a lawyer, okay? Contact a lawyer, ideally maybe of the, the lawyer who speaks your language, and ask a lot of questions about the purchase uh, process in general and uh, and get assistance. Because I recommend every buyer to get a lawyer. Yeah, I, I think that's a, such an important and unique aspect, again, to the to the Spanish property market and Marbella here specifically. And, and that's why, you know, we're going to be very happy to feature a, a guest lawyer soon that, you know, we can ask all these questions and, and you know, get more into the due diligence and the nitty gritty. Um, you know, thank you so much for everybody listening. Thank you, Camilla, for, you know, sharing sharing uh, your experience. Um, if you don't follow us already on social media, then join our growing community on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we look forward to connecting again with you already next week. So thank you from my side and thank, thank you, Camilla. Thank you very much and see you soon. <laughs> <laughs>